Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. Oh 
solid gold Like a vow that's been tested Like a covenant of old Your love is enduring Through the winter rain And beyond the horizon With mercy for today Faithful you have been And faithful you will be yourself to me and that's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be makes us whole and you shoulder our weakness and your strength becomes our own you're making me like you you're clothing me in white bringing beauty from ashes for you will have your bride free from all her guilt and rid of all her shame and known by her true name And that's why I sing Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be
I'm a lover, not a fighter. You guys remember that song? Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson sang it a long time ago. The girl is mine, and they would talk back and forth, and at some point, Michael Jackson would look at Paul McCartney and say, I'm a lover, not a fighter. He said, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Hey, and I, I relate with that. I am a lover, not a fighter. I can remember when I was in grade school, um, I can't remember if I was in the third or fourth grade, uh, there was a guy in our class named Billy Barber, and I'm pretty sure Billy had a mustache. Um, we were standing in line for, for lunch, and for whatever reason, Billy decided to punch me in the stomach. I was minding my own business, holding my lunchbox, punched me in the stomach. Of course, the teacher comes over and takes, sends us to the principal's office. Getting punched was not bad, but knowing I had to go to the principal's office scared me to death because I knew he was going to spank me, and I knew that my parents were going to find out, and I was going to get spanked again. So it was just, like, awful. So that was my first, like, school fight, and only school fight. I grew up in a neighborhood where it seemed like every day there was a fight. We weren't the sharpest uh, tools in the shed, this group of kids I was with. Uh, um, we were a few threads shy of a sweater, or, uh, this group of kids I hung with. Uh, we couldn't pour boot, uh, water from a boot if the instructions were on the heel. We were just some not very bright kids. But we had a kid that moved into our neighborhood that we found out knew how to do karate. And one day he was out in his driveway, he was practicing karate, and we, were thought, we thought, well, let's see if this guy really knows how to do karate. So we got one of our, our friends to pick a fight with him. And that was awesome to watch that guy beat our friend up doing his karate moves. <laughs> I've never, you know, sweep the leg, and it was fantastic. It's really good. And then I had a sister growing up, an older sister, and I'm going to brag on her first. I really love my sister. We're really tight, and we have a lot of good times together. But every now and then, she had this switch inside of her that would, she, she would flip the switch, and she would just be mean. So one day, I came home from school, and my routine was to lay on the floor and eat snack, and I would watch TV. And this was back in the day where you would turn the TV on with your hand and turn the channel, and you, there was no remote. So I plop down. I'm, I'm trying to decompress from a horrible day of like sixth grade or whatever. And um, I'm having my snack, and my sister walks in, and she turns the channel. I'm just kind of like, what's wrong with you? I was watching my own show, so I jump up, and I turn the channel back. And uh, she comes back in the room. She turns the channel again to what she wants to watch. And I started to get frustrated. So then uh, I get up and turn the channel one more time back to my show. And after I lay back down, my sister gets mad. She turns the channel to her show, and then she takes my head and shoves it in my plate of snack, which infuriated me. So I jump up, and I chase her to her bedroom where she locks the door, and I'm just beating on the door. Kim, you might want to beat your face in air. I'm just screaming and hollering. And then I, I stopped and noticed that there was blood on my hand, and I had actually punched a hole in the door. If you go to my house today, you go to that door, you can still see where dad tried his very best to fix that hole. Again, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And we're going to talk about fighting today. But before we get to that, I want to share with you a, a quote by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said this. This tells us a little bit about the fight that we're in. He said, consider how precious a soul is when both God 
and the devil are after it. From Genesis to Revelation, it's not only a love story about God to us, it also tells an epic battle or a fight that's been, that has been going on since the beginning of time. Since the day that Satan deceived Adam and Eve, it has been a fight. It started in the garden, and if you read your Bible and you go to Revelation chapter 12, you will see that there was war in heaven, a battle in heaven between good and evil. If you go to the very end of Revelation, to chapters 20 through 22, in chapter 20, you will read that Satan and death and Hades are thrown into a lake of fire. That's good. That's the end of the fight. Verse 21, or chapter 21, talks about the victory and the restoration that will happen after Satan is gone. And then chapter 22 says that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, that God's dwelling will be with us, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Isn't that great? The victory is ours. The battle is over. Now, that's the good news. But until that day, we are in a fight. I spoke with a military a veteran in our church here a few weeks ago, and I asked them about planning a battle. What are some of the decisions they had to make when they were making, um, uh, getting ready for a battle? And he, and he said, well, the first thing you need to decide is, is this an offensive battle or a defensive battle? And then he said, once you determine that, <clears throat> you need to figure out what do you need? And do you have enough resources to pull this battle off? He said, do you have enough beans and bullets to pull this particular uh, theater or uh, mission off? He also said this, you need to figure out who your enemy is. You need to figure out where they are and also figure out what their resources are as well. So today, over the next few minutes, I want to kind of remind us of the, the battle that we're in, of the fight that we're in. And I want to begin by by telling us, reminding us who we are. Who are we? And if you go to Matthew chapter 16, it gives us a clue of who we are. Now in Matthew 16, Jesus has gained popularity and he's with his disciples and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they mention a bunch of different people. And then he asks them this question. He says, but who do you? Who do you say that I am? And, and Simon Peter said this. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied with this. He said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That phrase, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, every time it's mentioned, every time somebody confesses that, the church grows, the army of God grows. Earlier in first hour, we had a, a lady named Keisha Ship who joined our church, and she said those very words. And God builds his church on that, that a phrase. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you're a Christian, you've said that in some way, shape, or form. Now, if you go on and read the rest of this passage of Scripture, it says he will build the church on that phrase. And what does it say here? And the gates of Hades will not 
overcome it. So today, I want you to remember that you are the church. That you are the body of Christ. You are the hands and feet of Jesus and you are not a loser, you're a winner. Don't ever forget that. Now, I hate losing. I'm not a fan of losing. Uh, and I've heard that losing builds character. I don't know who said that, but I do believe that they must have been a real character and they lost a lot. I believe what Vince Lombardi said about losers is true. He said, you show me a, lo- a good loser and I'll show you a loser. I believe that is very true. We're not losers, folks. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome us. We're guaranteed to win. That's who we are. But who are we up against? Stuart, a couple Sundays ago, talked about Satan and some of his tactics. And he said that our enemy is a liar and a deceiver, and he is only around to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his main mission, steal, to steal, kill, and destroy. But usually, his tactics begin right here. Once he deceives you, it gets you off track, and eventually, uh, it, it will kill and destroy your life. Now, a few months ago, I was listening to a podcast on conspiracy uh, theories, and this particular podcast was about the 9-11 conspiracies, and I'm not into that. I was just interested in listening to this. And one of the things that the lady said on the, on the podcast that really struck me, I had to go back and listen to it two or three times. Uh, she said that the truth is not always the best story. And when I heard that the first time, I rewound it, because I thought, what did she just say? And and again, she said, the truth is not always the best story. And I'm not real sharp, so I had to keep thinking about that. And I thought, that's exactly the world that we live in. Our world doesn't care about the truth, and the truth is not always the best story, so let's make something up. And I feel like that's one of the big things that we face as a church, is we, we are in a world that doesn't believe in the truth, There's lots of deception, lots of skepticism, a lot of doubt out in our world today. How do we as a church combat that? I've had some questions asked of me recently, personally, that I've struggled with, that that involve the truth. And I'm gonna share those questions with you and I, I don't want you to answer today. I want you just to think about it this week, how you would answer these questions. The first question that I was asked was, How do we know we're right? That was asked from somebody in our church. Um, They had a person in their family that asked them that question. How do we know we are right? What if we are wrong? That was a question asked of me. When they first asked it, I didn't know how to answer it right away. Second question I was asked was this. Can you be 100% sure that God is real? Now, those two questions are tough to answer. Uh, They're tough to answer if you're not ready for it. And what I did from that day on is I I, I took that one question, how do we know that we're right, and I started thinking about what the the answers might be. Now, when I was growing up in church, one of the common responses to some of the skepticism and some of the stuff that's out, some of the questions that are asked, is people would say, stop asking questions, just believe. 
Just stop asking questions. Just believe. And, okay, there are some times in our life that we do need to just stop, just stop questioning and believe. But for some of these questions, we need to look at them. We need to seriously think about these questions because this is what the world around us is asking. What if we're wrong? So I sat down and started thinking about these two questions. Now, before I give you my answers, I want to say this. Do we, ha do we have all the answers? Do we know everything that needs to be known about these subjects and these questions? Can we absolutely know for sure we have all the answers? And I have to answer no. I don't know that we can know everything there is to know. Because if we knew everything, then we would be on a level with God, and none of us are God. So we struggle with these questions. But as I've gone through life, I do believe that there is plenty of good, solid evidence and facts for us to look into. Let's look at this question of can you be 100% sure? I don't know that we can be 100% sure. But when I look back on my life and I see how God directed me through high school, how he protected me through high school, when I think about getting through college, that was a huge task for me. <coughs> when I think about how God has led me out of college and, and, and to ministry for the past 20-some years, I'm able to see evidence of God. There are things that I've experienced in my own life that are undeniably God. That's what I have seen, and I've seen it in this church too. Not just with my life, but in the lives of the people in this church. There are things that I have seen and experienced that I cannot explain other than it being God. So can I be 100% sure that God is real? Probably not, but there are things that point to tell me that God is who he says he is. How do we know that we are right? How do I answer that question? And when I started thinking about that, I started thinking about how we believe in Jesus. And I started thinking about Jesus and who he said he was. There were some things and some claims that he made in the scriptures that were very bold and audacious claims. He told the Jews, I and the Father are one. That sounds crazy. That's what he said. He predicted his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and he pulled it off. He had to be who he said he was. Beast, who, who he said he was. So how do we know we're right? Well, because of Jesus. Because Jesus and his life he was right. If you look at the prophecies, and if you study uh, prophecy at all, you will see that a lot of those were fulfilled in Jesus. Our enemy is very good at saying, did God really say? He's very good at planting a seed of doubt and creating skepticism. So how do we fight? We, we know who we are, we are the church, and we know who our enemy is, and we know what he's going to do. So how do we fight? Well, there are two passages of Scripture I want us to look at today that give us some clues of the things that we, that we need to fight. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, and you guys have heard these Scriptures before, but it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. 
And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled on your waist, buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the arrows of the evil one, taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So here are some things that we have uh, to use in our fight against the enemy. We have the truth, and I want us to stand for the truth, and I want us to live for the truth, and I want us to speak the truth, but we need to remember to do this in love. Uh, We can grab the truth and not speak it in love, and it does not work well. But as a church, we do have the truth, and we do need to speak it, and we do need to stand for it and live it, but please do it in love. It says in the scripture that we have righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, and that doesn't mean that we are right and everybody's wrong. What that means is that God, through Jesus, made us righteous, therefore, we should live right and do what is right in this world today. It tells us to go in peace. It tells us to have faith. Uh, Talks about the, the shield of faith. And when I think about the shield of faith, I think about the world in which we live, and it just seems like every day there is more negative news. Somebody's getting sick, somebody's dying. This bad thing has happened, that bad thing has happened. We're just surrounded by it. And I think with faith, it says, regardless of what's happening around me, I am going to choose to still believe that God is on the throne doing his thing. Another weapon that we have is the word of God. And I can't say this enough, that reading God's word and hiding it in your heart is so important in our world today. Read your Bible, hide it in your heart, memorize it, think about it, meditate on it, study your Bible. And then as the scripture said, pray. Pray in the spirit on all occasions, not just at mealtimes, not in the morning and not at night, all day long, pray in the spirit on all occasions. When Jesus was tempted uh, in the wilderness, he used scripture when Satan attacked him. He memorized scripture in those, those moments. Another passage of scripture that tells us some things we can use in our fight is Acts chapter two. And it says this. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet, meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. To summarize that passage of scripture, here are the things that the early church did. They devoted themselves to study, They read the Bible, they talked about it, they studied it. They fellowshiped, they did things together as groups. They ate together, they went out and had meals together. They had communion, we did that just a few minutes ago in our worship service today. Uh, They gave to those who were in need. They got together and worshiped and you'll you'll notice that they were united. It says they all, the believers, were together. That's what unity is. Now I've been in the church pretty much all my life and I have questions for God. I'm sure you guys maybe have questions too. One of my big questions 
for God is why did you create us? Why did you make us? God, if you knew ahead of time that we were going to ruin what you created, your perfect world, and you knew that we were gonna bring sin and death and pain, um, sickness and disease, cancer, COVID, uh, global warming, unsweet tea, the WNBA, and, and the Hallmark Channel. If you knew we were gonna create all those things, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about the WNBA and the Hallmark Channel. Seriously. Why did God create us? If he knew that we were gonna bring all this bad stuff into the world, why did he go ahead and create us? And I've thought about that, that question and I've, I've come to two words that really mean the same thing, that are kind of the same thing, and they kind of work together. Uh, and those two words are he, he created us to share and to love. People want to belong. They want to belong to something. And to show them that they belong, the people that already belong need to show them love and they need to share. And when I think about our church, when I think about First Christian, when we have new people and guests that come in, do they, do they feel like they belong? Do, do we share, do we show them the kind of love that makes them feel like they belong? That's a challenge for us to think about. I think that our church should be always a place where we, where we are showing love and we are sharing love. Well, when I think about this passage of scripture, back to Acts, our church does a great, uh, um, does great work uh, we're, by being devoted to uh, study, okay? We do that. We do that by being in life groups, by doing Bible studies. We do have fellowships. We get together and we fellowship with one another and we gather together, we eat together, we have communion. Here we go. We give to each other. I, I've noticed the, uh, this past couple weeks, one of our missions in Zimbabwe told me uh, that there were a bunch of seeds given uh, to the, the villagers to go and plant uh, f- for food. And our church is one of those churches that help bring those seeds to the people in Zimbabwe. Uh, the Dollar Club, we've heard all kinds of Dollar Club stories. That's another way where we've seen a need and we've given to it to help folks out. Um, this past Christmas, our church partnered with other churches in helping Hand of Hope uh, to meet the needs of 560 students in our area. So doing and giving is something uh, that we as a church have done before. We are very good at getting together and making God look good. That's what worship is all about. So how do we fight? We fight by being the church. But why? Why is it important that we as a church fight for what is good and what is right? Two answers. Number one, people need to know Jesus. And they're gonna know Jesus by the way we act in this building and outside of this building. If we are good at being the church, they are going to see Jesus in our lives. People need to know who Jesus is. And why else do we fight? We fight because our fight makes a difference. Let me share this with you. Rodney Stark is a respected sociologist who has written over 30 books, written over 30 books. He's written 100 plus articles on religion and the effects of religion. Recently, he shared this about what religious people do and their impact on the world. He said this, religious people are the primary source of secular charitable funds 
that benefit victims of misfortune, whatever their beliefs. Religious people dominate the ranks of blood donors and other pro-social behaviors. Religious people are much less likely to commit crimes. Religious people are far more likely to donate their money and time to socially beneficial programs and to be active in civic affairs. The impact of religious people on volunteering alone is estimated 47 billion annually in the United States alone. Religious people enjoy superior mental health. They are deemed happier and less neurotic, whatever neurotic means, I'm kidding. Less neurotic means disturbed. Uh, Religious people enjoy superior physical health. They have an average expectancy, life expectancy, more than seven years longer than the irreligious. Religious people are more apt to be married, less likely to divorce, and have higher degrees of satisfaction with marriage. Last one. In 247 studies done between 1944 and 2010, Religion has a positive effect on society in regard to crime, deviance, and delinquency. Our fight as a church makes a difference. So, don't just sit there, fight. I like reading our military about military history. Uh, Military history humbles me It inspires me, um, and it makes me appreciate our veterans. Not just our veterans, but those who are in service today, too. It's incredible the amount of sacrifice and service that they make. I read a book recently titled The Dead and Those About to Die. It's by John C. McManus, and he describes the events leading up to D-Day and D-Day, the actual event itself. And on D-Day, basically what would happen is, or the plan was that our boats with our troops uh, were loaded with men. They would pull up to the the beaches of Normandy. They would basically drop a ramp. The guys would jump off the boat uh, onto the beach, and they would take the Germans. That was the plan, and if it was only that simple. But I want you to listen to this part of the book that will give you an idea of pretty much what every boat experienced that day. Most of us were seasick. We found out that the Germans were going to use poison gas, so they gave us gas masks that smelled like rotten milk, which made our seasickness even worse. Our boat got stuck, and we cried to our captain uh, to get us free. He couldn't get us free, so we yelled, just lower the ramp. And they did, and as they dropped the ramp, we began to head to the beach. Machine gun fire We heard it everywhere, bullets flying at us from every direction. So we jumped into the water, which was not warm. It was up to our chins. We were each carrying well over 50 pounds of gear. We sloshed and swam to the beach. Once on the beach, again, bullets flying from every direction. We faced obstacles, and most of these were strapped with mines ready to explode. Many of us just laid still, wondering what we should do next. And then there was a guy named Colonel George Taylor. He's the guy who created the phrase, the dead and those about to die. 
he began to walk up and down the beach. And as he saw soldiers, he would say, there are two types of men out here, the dead and those about to die. Let's get off this beach. He kept saying that over and over. And as he walked and talked, a medic heard him. This medic had pretty much given up, thought this was a lost cause, and he said when he heard Colonel Taylor's words, it was an impressive moment, and he went back to work. Another Navy medic, a corpsman, who was surrounded by death and dying, who was screaming at God, get us out of here, he heard those words, and he said it snapped me out of my grief, and it motivated me to keep on saving soldiers Another private who was pinned down with a bunch of other privates heard Colonel Taylor. They got up and they advanced. This man stirred many soldiers into positive action. Now, Colonel Taylor did not win the Battle of of Normandy on his own, but undoubtedly he made a significant impact. We are in a fight. We are the church. There is an enemy and he is powerful. We know how to fight by being the church. So don't just sit there. Fight. One of my friends here at the church told me about a prophetic teacher that he heard one day say this. He said, when it seems like the world is falling to pieces, the pieces are falling in place. Maybe you need to hear that today, that everything going on in your life feels like it's falling apart. Well, just know that the pieces are falling in place. Don't just sit there, fight. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 tell us this. Let us not become weary in doing well or doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, Let us do good to all. Don't just sit there, fight. Another scripture that I want you to remember from Philippians, you've heard it before. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I want you to be encouraged by these. Don't just sit there, fight. One of my favorite ones is from 2 Kings chapter six. Um, Elisha and his servant are pinned down. They're surrounded. The servant thinks that they're about to die. And Elisha tells his servant, there are more with us than against us. Somebody in this room needs to hear that today. Don't just sit there and fight. And then Jesus tells us this. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Don't just sit there. Fight. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for this day. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to worship you and to be in this place with these people. We are in a fight, and our enemy is powerful, but you are bigger and stronger and better. God, as we meet, as we sit here and talk about these things, um, there may be someone here that is uh, scared, don't don't know what to do, um, hunkered down, and uh, God, they they need to hear these words to get up and go, uh, to not just sit there, but fight. Or maybe somebody's here today that's confused about their role uh, in, in, in being in your church, what they need to do and where they need to go. Maybe they need some direction, God. I pray that you would give that to them. Maybe there are people here today that need to be like 
Colonel Taylor that uh, just need to encourage. There's somebody in their life that they should encourage and say, uh, give some encouraging words to. Uh, God, help them to do that today. Um, you know us. You know our hearts. Uh, you know what needs to be done for us to take that next step. And Father, I pray that you will speak to us and give us the courage uh, to do that today. God, thank you for loving us. And thank you for loving us enough to pursue us and to send your son Jesus for us. Uh, help us in this fight, God. We need help. We need encouragement. We need each other. Help us to be the church today. God, we love you. And God, there's, uh, I just pray again that you'd work on the, heart, all, all, the hearts of us all today and uh, help us to be the people that we need to be. God, we love you and thank you for, for Jesus. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Would you please stand with me? We are about to sing a, a closing song, uh, but if something has been said today that, that you would like to make a decision or, or need prayer or want to talk to somebody, uh, I'll be up here, there'll be some other folks too. I encourage you to come forward as we sing our song today. See 
Love. 